0: Welcome to the Learn Stage Lighting Podcast. This is the show where newcomers and professionals alike come to learn more about stage lighting. And now your host, David Henry. Hey everybody, welcome back. It is 2019. Can you believe that? Wow. It's uh, it's amazing to me. It's it's like, um, you know, I probably touched on this a little bit at the start of the last episode, but, you know, every year it's like, wow, wow, another year's gone by. <laughs> they they keep going quicker and quicker as I get through life. So anywho, not going to dwell on that too long, but I'm excited today to be answering your questions. That's right. Today is free Q&A Tuesday here on Learn Stage Lighting on the Learn Stage Lighting podcast. And uh, if you have a question, you can go to learnstagelighting.com contact, fill out that form, and it'll come right here to me. I'll answer them on the show. So It's that simple. Um, Feel free to ask your questions, and uh, then I'll try to point you in the right direction in a radio style podcasty style format here on the show. But before we get to that, a few quick notes, housekeeping, and a little bit of news. Um, First of all, if you've listened to this show before and and you're enjoying it, um, especially if I've answered your question here today, could you do me a huge favor? It'll only take about five minutes, and and that's to go to learnstagelighting.com slash iTunes at which point I'll uh, have a button there for iTunes or Stitcher. If you're an Android person, head over to Stitcher. An Apple person, uh, you can head over to iTunes. And go ahead and uh, just leave a review for this podcast, okay? So go over to iTunes. It'll open in the uh, iTunes app or or Stitcher. Find the place where it says to uh, leave a review. It's not the easiest to find on the page. So click that button and uh, just go ahead and, and type out something you've learned and then leave a rating. If uh, Hopefully I've Earned five stars from you on this show, but if I haven't, um, you know, be sure to let me know why. Because I I always want to be improving, I always want to be making this podcast better, I always want to be making it more enjoyable. And and what you want, and the way that I learn that is from your ratings and reviews. So they I'm really thankful for them and they are really helpful as well. Now, with that said, today, um, in lighting news, really excited because in the latest episode of PLSN magazine. That's uh, Projection, Lighting, Staging, News, one of my favorite industry magazines. Um, They they usually do a really great job of covering things uh, most of the time, and um, I I really like it. It's one that I've read since before I was actually in the industry, and um, I I just always enjoy it. I've learned so much from it, and there's so much you can glean, and there's so much great free information uh, in PLSN. We'll be sure to link to their website, but this month, they've got an article on TSO, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And I don't know about you, but if you work with lighting at all, then you probably know who TSO is or the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. In fact, it's such a big phenomenon now, at least here in the U.S. um, I don't think they're international at this point, that, you know, if you're here in the U.S. and you pay attention to music or lighting or anything at all, then you've heard about the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And this is a show that happens every year over Christmas. They actually run two shows, a, a West and an East Coast one, I believe. And it's an amazing rock and roll classical music um, narrative that they bring to arenas all around the country. And it always features the latest and greatest in, in effects and lighting and pyrotechnics and automated trusses and all that good stuff. And it's absolutely amazing. Um, if you ever get a chance to see it, I did. Um, gosh, it was a few years ago when I got to see it in person. But also you can look and see some poorly taken cell phone clips on YouTube and some good um, well-taken clips on YouTube. But getting off that uh, that little um, aside there, TSO is an absolutely amazing show. And they do a profile on it this month here in PLSN. And I invite you to check it out. Because this is a show that you know, has, has really built up over time. I mean, it started as a small thing out of Philadelphia, um, you know, over at least 19 years ago from what I'm reading in this article, maybe older, longer, and it's turned into an absolute, you know, mega show. I mean, it is, you know, one of the biggest tours of the year. I think every venue sells out and it looks absolutely amazing. And it's a great show. And so I I highly suggest you go just, you know, flip through the article. Um, I'm going to have the link on the post here. Or if you get the magazine, check it out in the magazine. It looks even better in print. Look at the pictures and and read what they have to say. Because there's some really good stuff in there. Like, uh, you know, they're they're talking about a lot. The fact that, you know, now they have a limited budget pretty much to do whatever they want. But back in the early days, you know, they, they really held on to figuring out how to make the most show for the least money. Um, does that sound familiar? It probably does. If you work with lighting, I know that happens in a lot of situations. And, um, uh, Then it talks about you know bringing in video, bringing in new technologies, and um, how they make a production this size work well. So I think if you work with lighting at all, this is going to be intriguing to you. I mean, who doesn't love learning about a great show like this? And I just think like there's this great magenta picture um, about halfway through the article that it's just amazing to me how a show like this. And I know how to do this stuff. I mean, I teach stuff, right? Um, I know how to do this stuff, but they they build their rig in such a way like like I like to teach here that they design it that they can have you know really edgy rock and roll modern looks they can have really classic really theatrical looks going on and everything in between and so, I definitely recommend checking that out. Um, I know I've said enough about that, but there's there's just so much good stuff in that article. And um, I wish it was longer, but it's not. But regardless, look at the you know check out the article, look at the pictures, and uh, be sure to check out uh, some videos or check them out live if they're coming near you uh, next year. Because TSO is awesome. All right, now let's get to your questions. So today I've got a pretty full inbox of questions. And so, what I think I'm going to do is um, I've had a cold this week, and so I'm hoping, hoping my voice holds in here. But regardless, I know some more, some more um, questions are going to come in as we get into this. So, with that said, I'm going to do today's Q and A, and then next week we're also going to do q and A. Q&A, all right, and so that'll be the plan here, and then we'll get back to our regular schedule with some exciting stuff for this year, 2019. So with that said, um, if my voice gives out it starts to give out at any point, I'm just going to stop. We'll finish the rest of the questions next week as well as whatever else comes in. But I'm excited to answer what you guys have today. So David writes in and uh, asks the question, Hi, David. Thank you so much for your help so far um, regarding D-Pro. Further to the subject, I have access to an old NTEC. Mark 1 DMX Pro converter. Will this convert from my PC to DMX or do I need to buy the Mark 2? All right, David. Um I'm actually going to take a quick pause and look this up because this is this is more of a question that um you should probably ask Ntech, but since I'm here, I might as well look it up quick and see if there's any info on it. All right, David. So I just took a peek in the D Pro manual and yes, thankfully as expected, um I pretty much expected this. The uh, D Pro on can can transmit DMX a variety of ways. So, uh, for your information, it can use the Entek DMX USB Pro, the RDM USB Pro, the DMXs hardware, which is basically a DMX USB Pro, and the Entek DMX USB Pro Mark II. So. With that, um, you can totally do that um, with the old Mark 1 converter. Looks like it should work just fine according to the manual. But of course, if you have any question before buying, um, because I know a lot of times software like d isn't returnable, then I would just go ahead and call N-Tech support supporter, send them an email. You can find their info at n-tech.com. Um, I'll make sure that I go ahead and find. If you go to ntech.com, let's just walk you through this real quick. Yeah, they have a, a tab at the top that says support. And then from there, you can email them. And um, I believe you can call them. You can call them as well. There's a phone number at the bottom of the screen. So you can get that info from them. Their support is generally very helpful. And so that should be able to help you. Awesome. Now, with that said, uh, next person, Robert said, um, we're currently figuring out our path forward for the band I'm in. So question is how to combine an LED screen or multiple screens and other lights controlled by DMXs. Say we have an LED type screen behind our drummer, and uh, how do we sync this up together? All right, Robert. Well, the good thing that uh, is the timing that you asked this question in, because the um, the author of DMXs, the guy who writes the program DMXs has launched his own new program. Um, and it's not, it's called ShowBuddy Active, which is a little bit of a confusing name. And it's not from Ntech, but it is DMXs. Does that make sense? Okay, glad we're not confused anymore. And what this program can do, see the problem actually, let me just step back a second. So the problem is I've gotten this question a lot over the years and over time. And the simple answer to this is to be able to play video um, from and have DMXs trigger it as well as lights at the same time is actually very complicated. And there's not a lot of tools out of the box that are simple to use and not, you know, thousands of dollars that can get this done. Because, you know, you need to trigger video because the signal that... um, that your video screen, your LED screen wants, is a video-type signal, right? And your lights, of course, want a DMX a lighting signal. And so you need to be able to trigger both of those out of one program DMXs and be able to do it seamlessly. And without doing a lot of workarounds or spending a lot of money, there really wasn't a good way to do that until this ShowBuddy Active came along. And so it's one of these programs I'm kind of watching um, because um the developer, DB AudioWare, made this himself without Entech, And so it got a little bit of a rough start at launch. And I'm kind of waiting to see. Like, I, it definitely works. And it's definitely, um, you know, not too buggy for an initial release, for sure. And, and he, he's fixed a lot of the bugs that were out in the first release. Uh, but my question about it is, it doesn't seem like it's picking up as much steam as an NTECH product would because it doesn't have NTEX marketing behind it. But regardless, Robert, um, I think this really does what you need. So you can find that at dmxis.com, dmxis.com. We'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. It's called ShowBuddy Active, and you can see a link for more info right there on the home screen. And what it does is if you get the ShowBuddy Active projection uh, model version of the software, which right now the cost through February 2019 is $200 for that um, U.S. It allows you to trigger through a DMXS type setup your lights as well as video. And the kind of the cool thing about it is not only can you trigger video to like an external screen, basically just another monitor on your same computer, which would be your, your LED wall or your LED screen, whatever it is, but you can also then drag that video and actually have it working on top of your lights. So you can have your lights react to the video as well, which, you know, could be useful at times. A lot of times you might want your lights to do something different, just be a solid color or something while the video is doing something crazy. But you can set it up and literally drag your video there on top of your lights. And then each light that's able to change independently, is basically a pixel of video. So it changes, you know, it has a point, a place on the video canvas that, that the light sits, and then it changes color when that little portion of the video changes colors. And so this generally works best if you've got a good number of lights in a, in a tight area, but, you know, it may work for you otherwise. Either way, whether you, you play the video on the lights or just program the lights separate from the video, um, ShowBuddy Active is the program you'll want that's able to keep them all in sync. And and yes, um, it's $200. So that's in addition to DMXs, which I think you already have. Um, so if you already have DMXs, you can use your DMXs box for output with the ShowBuddy Active. If you don't already have DMXs, um, there's a variety of options to get your output out of ShowBuddy Active. You don't necessarily have to buy DMXs to get started with it. Um, and it was originally called... Um, DMX is platinum, but they had to change the name uh, because Entech owns DMXs, and this is not an Entech product. So I um, hope that isn't too confusing for you, Robert. But I think I think this is what you know would be a good program for you. It, it's kind of tough. It's it's kind of hard because right now I'm really watching it closely to see if it's going to turn into something that, you know, over the long haul is helpful to people or not. Um, and so I'll, I'll definitely keep up, you know, watching it. But as for what you're trying to do, this is about the only program I know out there that can do it and, and do it fairly seamlessly. All right. Now, Tom writes in and Tom says, hey, David, um, here's my question. I have the latest iMac I'm running Digital Performer 9 along with DMXs. Can you help me with setting up, running my lighting rig, and using MIDI in DP9 with DMXs? How do I set this up? I can't find anything on the internet with the nuts and bolts on this. All right, Tom, so... I'm going to do the best to help you here. Um, this may be a question, um, that has to do that dives us deeper into the sponsor of our show. Learn stage lighting labs, um, which is where you can get more help from me, um, videos and all that jazz, um, how to videos on all sorts of topics. I'm including how to automate your, your lighting via MIDI and run it live and on the fly. Um, and, and, and customize support so that when you do have questions, you can ask in our forums. I'll be talking about Learn Stage Lighting Labs more within the show, but um, first, let's talk about Tom's question. So, Tom, I don't know a lot about digital performers, so I'm going to Google it here um, because there's a lot of digital audio workstations, but the beauty of it is that you're able to go ahead and use pretty much any digital audio workstation with DMXs, as you're probably um, aware of. So, It looks pretty familiar to a lot of DAWs. It's pretty similar. And so what you're going to need to do is is there's a few things going on. The first thing is uh, you can actually run DMXs as a VST plugin in a lot of DAWs. And I believe it looks like, from what I'm seeing here, it looks like Digital Performer can use VST plugins. So if you've already installed DMXs on your computer and you didn't specify a place to install the plugin, what you want to do is just re-download the DMXs installer um, from DMXs.com and rerun that installer. And then and it won't it won't delete any of your data or anything like that. But when you do go ahead and um, run that, it'll ask at one point for where your VST plugin folder is. You'll find in your in your Digital Performer preferences somewhere um, where that is, and then you'll be able to go ahead and um, add that in, um, that folder, and then it'll show up in Digital Performer 9. You may have to do something in there, but you should find that in the help uh, documents of Digital Performer, how to maybe rescan for plugins or anything like that. So that gets you the plugin, okay? So there's really two ways to control DMXs from a DAW. The first way is the plugin. And so, as I mentioned before, um, you get that plugin installed in Digital Performer, and then you're going to be able to just build MIDI lanes um, just like any other lane of, of audio or MIDI inside of Digital Performer. And it's going to trigger DMXs directly inside the program. So, this is generally the best way to do things. The other way you can set things up is via MIDI notes, where you can look inside the DMX's manual, and you'll see on channels 15 and 16, you can trigger the DMX's banks and presets that you've pre-recorded. So you can make a bank for each song or for different types of looks and different presets for um, each song or different types of looks, and then you can literally trigger those via MIDI. So what you would do in this case is you would set up your internal MIDI loopback, which I believe on Max is uh, just built in, and and you would do that. And then you would go ahead and um, then also go in and set up DMXs. So the MIDI input comes from that same loopback device. Then you would simply just go ahead, trigger... Bank fifteen, note one, for example, would be the first bank in DMXs, and then bank sixteen, note one, would trigger the first preset. Note two would trigger the second. Note three, the third, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then you can literally build your show in DMXs, you know, on one side of, you know, on one screen, and then bring it in to Digital Performer and line up all your scenes in there on the proper MIDI notes. So, which is easier? Generally, using the plugin is going to be easier for you. But you may want to use MIDI for some reason that I don't understand, and that's cool too, and and that is totally doable too. Um, As I mentioned before, inside of Learn Stage Lighting Labs, I've got a full tutorial that walks you through how to do both of these in Ableton. And it looks like the process is pretty similar in Digital Performer. I know I've had other people use other DAWs, and they've learned from my videos on how to do it in Ableton. Um, because at the end of the day, you can apply what I teach, the overarching concepts, um, to your individual DAW pretty quickly. You can kind of adapt to what I'm teaching in Ableton um, just by looking at the help file for your DAW. And generally figure out what goes on there. But I, that should set you in the right direction, Tom. Um, if you do need more help, guys, head over, um, whether you're Tom or anybody else. The sponsor of today's show is Learn Stage Lighting Labs. So head to learnstagelighting.com labs. And um, what you're going to find there is some information on the Learn Stage Lighting Labs. Now, what is it? Well, the Learn Stage Lighting Labs is, is primarily two things. The first is that it's a big, massive library of a lot of how-to and tutorial videos showing you not only what to do, you know, and and how to use different functions in different consoles, but also what to do, how to create great lighting for your band, for your church, for your DJ setup, and and how to apply it in these different consoles. So not just the technical, but also the artistic, and it all matched together with the design so that you can get from point A to point B, point A being knowing no lighting, to point B creating a great show as quickly and efficiently as possible. The way I like to describe it to folks is that it's really a shortcut to your lighting success. You could learn all this stuff by, you know, looking at random YouTube videos, reading manuals, all kinds of stuff like that. And and I've been there and I've done that and it takes a lot of time and it can be very frustrating and you can waste a lot of money on the way, you know, buying wrong things or being led in different directions. But inside of Learn Stage Lighting Labs, you, you get that ability to have access to all those videos plus... The biggest part, I think the best value is that in our forums, you're able to interact with other members and myself. You're able to just simply ask questions in there, say, okay, I've been learning this inside of the videos. And now uh, how does that apply to my specific lights? And then we help you. And so all of that thrown together uh, really gives you the, the ability to shortcut, to really speed up and uh, really get your way to lighting success quicker. So Head over to LearnStageLighting.com labs to learn more about it and to sign up today. I think you'll be glad that you joined us. Awesome. So now Terry writes in, and uh, boy, it's DMX, DMX's question day. That's all right. It's a great program, and I'm glad to answer questions about it. Um, as well as, you know, we talked about Ableton and DMX this year, but inside of the labs, there are action plans on everything from just first starting up with DMXs to how to use DMXs. And there's actually a big course in there called From Zero to Lighting Hero, which shows you, hey, from, you know, first getting started with DMXs to making a great band show, how do you do it? Not only in the DMXs side, but also what's the best way to arrange lights? How do you use colors well? How do you make great effects and and match that all in the music? And I cover all of that inside of those videos. So Terry asks, when setting up DMXs, do you need to set the address on the fixture first, or does DMX identify the fixtures in the chain and provide menus for the different modes? Um, okay, Terry. So the answer is that um, at this point in time, um, only pretty fancy consoles and fancier lights can actually auto find the lights. And the reason for this is that DMX signal in itself, um, regular standard DMX, can't get information back from the lights. So the way that it generally works is you would set the address in DMXs, you know, write down all those numbers and then set them on the lights and set the mode on the light that you desire as well. Um, that's that's pretty important to do. I've also got a video on YouTube, Terry, that I'm gonna send you to um, called uh, "What Mode Should I Set My Light In?" Because that way um, you can kind of determine what mode. You should set your lights in. So I'm just Googling it here. Yep, here it is. Awesome. So this will help you um, decide. Oh, I have two videos. What do you know? Uh, But uh, yeah, that's right. I updated it recently, but I had a previous video. So I'm going to make sure to link to that video here in the show notes so that you get that info, uh, Terry, so that you can help determine what the best mode is for your lights, for your situation. And then you set that up in DMXs um, and then set that up on your lights after that. Awesome. Sean writes in and says, Hi, David. I'm trying to set up the Ntech DMXs with a Chave DeFi wireless hub and then address a bunch of Chave lights using the DeFi USB sticks. Um, I'm amazed and desperate that there's so little setup. Info on the manufacturer's websites, Google and YouTube. Can I run down the list of setting up such a system? Thank you. All right. So this goes hand in hand, actually, with the last question that Terry had. We just have wireless thrown into the mix. So like we talked about with Terry... The first thing to do is patch the lights in DMX's. assign them to different faders wherever you want your lights to line up. Um, when you're in DMXs, I don't always mind skipping a few channels if it means making your lights line up of visually on the faders on the screen so that the different colors line up with each other on the, the two rows of faders. Um, but regardless, you know, that's that's step one, then you've got the wireless factor. So when you're working with the Chave DeFi stuff, first of all, I think that Shave is absolutely brilliant in this. Obviously, you know, a lot of you guys know, I, I like the Onyx console a lot, which is a professional great console that Alation makes. But, you know, Chavez has got a lot of great stuff too. And so I don't ever want to be somebody who's kind of uh, partisan per se, you know, who, who prefers one over the other because they're pretty equally matched companies that both make great stuff. And this DeFi stuff is brilliant because what they did, I think... From what I understand is basically into their lights, these DeFi USB sticks, they built in the antenna for the wireless and and maybe some of the, the communications modules. And so that in order to get the light to work with wireless, you just buy these inexpensive little USB sticks that have a couple switches on them and you plug that in and then you've got full wireless control really inexpensively. So they put about half of the wireless receiver built into the fixture, whether you want it or not, it's there. And then they sell you the other half at, at a way lower cost than you can get anywhere else. I think it's brilliant. So the DeFi wireless, what I recommend doing with DeFi, because I've used it a good bit, is that you set it to a manual channel at the higher end of the channels. So channel 16, channel 15, um, I think that's about as high as they go. And the reason for this is that DeFi is on the 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi spectrum. And in some areas, especially downtown areas um, in bigger cities and stuff like that, there's a lot of 2.4 gigahertz traffic um, because it's the Wi-Fi range for older Wi-Fi equipment, but usually newer stuff broadcasts in both ranges. Um, It's, you know, not only Wi-Fi for internet, but say you're at a concert venue and they've got a wireless ticketing system. Say you're at um, a restaurant and they're processing orders wirelessly with with iPads. You know, say you're at, um, you know, somewhere else and they're they're running wireless cameras or anything like that. There's there's so much stuff that runs wireless these days and the, the frequency spectrum, especially in the 2.4 gigahertz range, can get really, really stuffed up. And so a lot of equipment in the 2.4 gigahertz range is going to default to the lower end of the spectrum. Just like the Chave, they kind of start at channel one and they go up from there. So what I like to recommend is that you go ahead and start yourself at the end of the spectrum, start at the higher end and then go downhill from there and, um, you know, find one that works well for you. But usually something at the end of the spectrum works great for most people. So then once you do that, you set that up, you want to go ahead So you've got the address set. I would set it in DMXs and on the lights at the same time. Then you can test it with the DMX cable. That's optional. Uh, then go ahead, set the DeFi to manual, set the channel, and then set up the switches on your USBs to that same channel. You'll need the manual for that. Um, And then once you plug it all in, it should work at that point. Awesome. So all the DeFi USBs will be set the same because you've got one DeFi hub shooting out to all your USBs, and um, they all set to the same channel, and then they get their DMX addressing from DMXs. Awesome. Otmar writes in, and says, um, it's very obvious that you like the Onyx and Ntech software. We use the software Freestyler, and we think it's great. Even more, it's free. We use it for band lighting. What is my opinion of Freestyler, and could I do a comparison? So here's my beef with Freestyler, okay? Um, And sorry, Almar, I know you're probably not from the U.S., so that's kind of an idiom that might not translate properly, but Freestyler, you know, there's a few free programs out there. Freestyler is one of them. QLC plus is another one of them and you can do cool shows with them um the reason that I'm hesitant there's a few reasons why I'm a little hesitant to recommend it okay um these fixtures, these these ones okay the the first is that um a lot of times the interface is just not as smooth and easy to pick up for beginners uh of these programs. Now, obviously, you've been using it for a long time, and so this program to you is like second nature. When you use something for that long, you know you you start to think the way the program thinks um, instead of thinking the way you think and having to figure out how the um, figure out how the program works from there. So, with that said, that that might be the situation you find yourself in, but you know it's it's not bad software. Um, The issues that that sometimes happen, though, in these free softwares, and I've seen time and time again over the year, is that sometimes there's bugs that will just go unfixed for a really long time. And, you know, and you can't get the developers to do anything about it because at the end of the day, you haven't paid them anything. You're not a customer of them. And so they kind of do things at the rate they want. Open source software, you know, and free software can be great. It's just that, you know, programs like these, like uh, Freestyler and QLC Plus, while they they do, you know, for some people work great, other people, you know, just bang their head against the wall and can't figure it out and have trouble with it. And, you know, sometimes people find bugs, like I said, and then they can't, um, they can't get that working. Plus, the other thing that I've seen happen more often with free software than paid is that because they don't, you know, make any money with it, and it's purely a, like, pure passion project, sometimes that means that um, different programs will just kind of disappear off the face of the earth and stop getting developed all of a sudden. And then that's harmful. It's like if you've invested yourself in using this program, maybe there's, you know, a couple bugs in it that are really bothering you. And now all of a sudden, you know, the developer who wrote it isn't writing it anymore. Nobody else is picking it up, and you're kind of stuck. So... The reason why I recommend um, generally paid programs and Onyx you can use for free for up to four DMX universes, which which I think is great. So like there's a free version and a paid version, and the reason I like software like this is because then there's a company behind it who is making money and pouring that money back into the development, so that we're able to have not necessarily a guarantee, but more hope that over the long term, they're going to continue to support this product, continue to make sure it's compatible with new operating systems, continue to add new features, and make sure everything is just um, great with it. And so that's the main reason why I, I really don't recommend the free ones as much as I like to recommend the paid ones or the ones that, that have a free version and a paid version, um, the, those consoles, just because... You know, I've seen and I've watched over the years, some of these free ones kind of become unresponsive and go away. And then people who use it are totally stuck. And I haven't seen that happen very often with the paid versions. Sure, it can totally happen in both places. So I'm not saying that the paid software is immune from that. I'm just saying that it's less likely that that would happen. And so, um, and so you know, if it works for you, hey, you know, use it. But my theory and my kind of thought process behind it and what I've seen work really well for people is, hey, invest a little bit of money in software or in a console compared compared to what you spend on lights. It's only generally a, a smaller percentage of money. And you're going to be able to have something that works well over the long term for you and, and really, you know, continues to be developed and, and, and is bug free and stuff like that. So that's um, I still bugs Otmar, um, but hey, you know if freestyle is working great for you, use it. You know that's that's absolutely fine, and um, there's no problem there. All right, I'm gonna answer one more question here before my voice totally dies. And so Wesley writes in and says, "Quick question: I recently did a retreat um, at a camp in the middle of nowhere, and." They had, they had installed their own lights, um, some Chavez Slim Pars, and a Monoprice lighting board, and he said, when I tried to connect it with the lights that he brought, he realized that the DMX was actually running the lo- the wrong way. Now, their board had a DMX in port, that, in quotes, um, that um, had, that was plugged in, and then the wire went to the lights and plugged into the DMX out of the first light, then out of the DMX in into the next light, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, for the most part, their lights worked, but about every 15 minutes, um, everything would would just stop working if you didn't touch the board at some point. So, um, his question is, is is it okay to run DMX backwards? Um, You know, can he just put a simple adapter on it and then be able to hook it into his own lights? Like, how does this work? Et cetera. So... The answer is yes. Um, basically, the, the simple answer, Wesley, is that um, DMX in and out ports are, are really, they really don't care because they're completely passive. So they really don't care if you run the proper way through it or not. At the end of the day, it's, it, it's, um, it doesn't really matter which way the jacks run because it's literally like, it's like a highway. Let's think of it this way. It's like a highway and all the cars, the DMX data are driving down the highway and as they go in and out of each fixture, they just they get grabbed kind of by an exit. OK, and then and then they just keep going through. So it's not like the road stops, goes into the light and then restarts again. OK, with DMX, it's really like a continuous road. And then there's just exits for each fixture. I hope that kind of makes sense. And so basically, if, if you run the DMX backwards, you can just pop an adapter on that to hook it into your console the proper way and everything's going to work just dandy. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a shame slash a little bit humorous that they ran things backwards. I'm sure they didn't know any better, and it was a mistake. But regardless, you can totally just use a, a three-to-three-pin adapter or a five-to-five-pin adapter to, to turn that jack around to be able to plug it into your board in the future, and um, you're not going to harm everything. It'll work just fine. And um, with their system Kind of turning off every fifteen minutes if you didn't touch the board. That was probably something in their cheap console um, that caused it to do that. Not sure why, but you know something going on there. Awesome, guys. well, I've got more questions for next week, and uh, we're certainly gonna cover those then, but my voice is about to give out. And so that's about it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed everything we've covered so far on these questions and and I'd love to have you back next week. So do make sure that if you haven't subscribed yet to the Learn Stage Lighting podcast, that you do that at learnstagelighting.com slash podcast, and we'll make sure to um, answer the rest of the questions that have come through next week here on the show. So with that, guys, I hope you have a great week this week. Um, I hope you check out the resources that I mentioned in today's show. And if you're looking for more information, if you're looking to dive deeper and um, really to continue to grow in your lighting and create some great lighting, then I recommend, you know, shortcutting your way to it and joining us in the Stage Lighting Labs. I really think it's an amazing thing that I've we've been able to create where for a really low cost, you're able to get access to, you know, my experience and, and the other folks in the lab's experience um, and also, you know, get access to that massive library of training videos to create great lighting quickly so i hope you'll join us there and uh, whether you join us there or not i I can't wait to see you next week and i hope you have a great week see ya and that's it for today's show thank you for listening to the learn stage lighting podcast be sure to visit us at Learnstagelighting.com to see show notes past episodes and download a free guide on how to begin with lighting in your specific context i'll see you guys on the site thanks